So uh, the title for um, this morning's message, I don't often give titles to messages because I don't know where I'm going, you know, when I sit down and, and uh, no, that's not true. I just don't often give them a, a meaningful title. But the title for this morning's message is Upper Room Moments. Upper Room Moments. The longer title I would have given it is Upper Room Moments on on the way to your personal book of Acts. The, more, uh, the most precise title I would give this message, though, is Given Away. Given Away. You know, the invitation of Jesus to each of us has never changed. He has one invitation that we say yes or no to. The invitation is this, follow me. Isn't that correct? That's his invitation. We, he, doesn't have a, he doesn't have a slightly variant version of it. It's just, follow me. And we say, yes or no. And we read the invitation in Mark 1 and verse 17. Jesus said to his first disciples, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus in, invites us to, to follow him whilst holding a dream in his heart for our lives. Like, I remember the day I said yes to following him. I was dreamless. I was visionless. I was, I was just, I was just over 21 years of age and I had already tried to take my own life three times in that short period of life. I had no future, no hope, no purpose. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, he has a dream in his heart for our lives. He has someone in mind for us to become. Follow me and I will make you become. And who he has in mind for us to become is always centered in kingdom purpose. It's always higher than our own, you know, the, than what we can conceive ourselves. So, so why given away? Well, we, re- we read in Jeremiah 1 and verse 5 that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying to him, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Eugene uh, Peterson, in his book, Run With the Horses, he, he points out that the word appointed literally means gave. God gave Jeremiah as a prophet to the nations. Can you, we won't go there, but can you imagine that conversation that God is having with Jeremiah? And Jeremiah goes, what? You, you've given me away? Well, I've got, I've got some aspirations in life. Jeremiah, I've given you away. God gives us away. Before Jeremiah knew God, God knew Jeremiah. Before Jeremiah was born, God had a dream for his life. And he formed Jeremiah in the womb for that dream. It wasn't an afterthought. He was formed with the dream already fulfilled in the father's heart. And uh, before Jeremiah was born, God had given him away so that his life would fulfill that dream. And what's true of Jeremiah is true of you and I. We don't determine who we are going to be. We discover who God has formed us to be. 
God has a dream for our lives, a holy purpose for our lives, and, and we fulfill that dream, we fulfill that purpose by being willing to live given away. Jesus said, if you seek to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. The whole principle of, of the universe runs on the fact that God created the world to give away. God so loved the world, He gave. This is how God is. And that's how God is with, with us. So hence the title, Upper Room Moments. Because it's in the upper room, that place of prayer, that place of encounter with Jesus, that God uh, meets with us, ministers to us, and calls out what's in us according to how he has formed us. Most commentators tell us that the upper room where, where Jesus spent his last earthly hours in intimacy with his disciples, as recorded in in John chapter 13 through to 17, and, um, and the room the disciples were hiding in for fear of the Jewish leaders in John chapter 20, and then the room that the disciples waited in for, for 10 days for the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the same room. Upper room moments. And everything Jesus taught and promised his disciples in the upper room, if you just read the book of Acts, you realize that everything he was teaching them, everything he was doing, everything he was talking them to them about in those upper room, room moments became outworked in their lives through the book of Acts. Hence the title, Upper Room Moments on the way to your personal book of Acts. And maybe you've already started it, but there's a new chapter waiting to be written. Um, the disciples didn't know they were writing the book of Acts. They didn't write it. Dr. Luke came along later and, uh, and he did that. The disciples were just living out the purpose of Jesus for their lives. The book of Acts is an overflow of their upper room moments with the Lord. I'm convinced that Jesus wants us to have our own book of Acts. You might not get to insta it, because that's not what matters. That's not what matters. The disciples didn't write their own book. They didn't record their own amazing deeds for everyone, for every generation to see and go, wow, I like that. They didn't do that. They just kept going into the upper room and out of the upper room. Into the upper room and out of the upper room. Into the upper room and out of the upper room. That's how they spent their life. And because of that, a book of Acts was written. And there's a book of Acts waiting for us. Maybe the first few chapters have been written, but there's other ones. Because if you're here breathing, God has formed you for purpose. God has, has dream. And, uh, you know, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where he gives up on people when they get to 80 years of age. In fact, he called Abraham at 75. He called Moses at 80. And at, and at 85, Caleb said, give me the mountain. I want to go to war. At 85? He wanted to go to war. I want to go to the beach. 
and I'm nearly 67, and that's when you get to retire, right? Except the Lord, a few years ago, to the chagrin of my wife, who now is really happy with the idea, by the way, said to me, don't retire. Okay. I announced it publicly on stage, because that's what cowards do, and they're not willing to talk to their wives face to face. And I just copped it on the way home, like... Wasn't that a great message, darling? What? You're not going to retire? You're just going to have to visit me up the coast because I'm going up the coast. But we got that sorted out. I just committed her to the Holy Spirit. There's a book of Acts waiting to be written in your life and my life as we have our own upper room moments and will give ourselves to live, given away. Given away. So now we know the title. What's the message? <laughs> the message is upper room moments. <laughs> That's the message. One upper room moment is a discovery of how much we are loved by Jesus. The, the John 13 to 17, you need, we need to know this if we're going to live given away. We need to know how loved we are, how secure we are, how safe we are in him. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. Let's not be surprised at the trouble that is taking place. But we don't live there. We live in him. And he said, but in me you'll have peace. Take heart because, uh, he said, cheer up. That's literally all it means. Cheer up, I've overcome the world. Praise God. Let's cheer up. You know, this, this John 13 to 17 upper room moment, it begins with these words in John 13 verse 1 from the New International Reader's Version. Jesus loved his disciples who were in the world, so he now showed them how much he really loved them. I just think it's interesting that just in about half an hour's time, he's going to tell them that some of them are going to be killed. But he just wants us to know how loved we really are. It's okay. Anyway, that's just for free. So Jesus loved his disciples who were in the world. We just got to think from the mindset of Christ, especially in the world we're living in now. Jesus basically sent his disciples out to be persecuted, to lose their life. Well, you know, we should be aware. Um, Jesus loved his disciples who were in the world. So he now showed them how much he really loved them. Jesus then proceeded to remove his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. You know, there is more than than one lesson we can draw from this, but, but the main lesson was this. His actions revealed how much he loved them. That's why he did what he did. We want to read a whole lot of other stuff into it, and I'm good with that. I like it. But actually, he did it for this reason. I just want you to know how much I, I love you. That was his primary mission in, in, in washing feet. He wanted to demonstrate his very deep and personal love for each one of those disciples in, in, the, in the room. We often rush in our upper rooms. We have, our, we have our own agenda. We approach our upper room with a 
task-orientated mindset. We have our prayer list that we want to get checked off. We have our Bible reading program that we want to get through. And, it's, and it's, it's like, thank you, Lord, it's going to be a good day because I've just done my thing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing our thing. Nothing at all. But why, after many years of doing our thing, can we still struggle to accept and walk in the amazing love that God has for us? Why is that still a struggle for some of our lives? Why do we still have moments when we doubt his desire for us? When we doubt his passion for us, his longing to be with, 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 with us? Why, do we, why, why can we still think after doing our thing, day in, day out, why can we still think, I don't know if God loves me or not? Why does that happen? Why can we struggle with feelings of being forsaken? What if we came to the upper room not to do our thing? But what if we came with his invitation just to be with him? He always turns up in the upper room. Uh, when I read the scriptures, I think, That's, you, you love the garden, the olive grove, and you love the upper room. Well, I don't have an olive grove. I've got an olive tree in our backyard, but Jesus doesn't, come to, doesn't seem to come there. But I have an upper room, and he seems to come there. He loves the upper room. What if we came not to do our thing, but just to be with him? What if we came with, the, with an expectation that he's already there waiting for us? Come in. I've prepared a place for you at my table. You know, what if we came to sit and not struggle? What if we came to rest and not strive? What if we came to receive and not perform, to be gazed upon and, and gazed back, to be loved and, and, and loved back? I think the main lesson we learn from Jesus in this moment you know, on this occasion as he's washing feet, is that he just really desires to get up close and personal with us. He's not looking at the dirt on our feet. He's gazing into our eyes. Jesus wants face to face. You know, let's use our imagination for a minute and, and, and just imagine you're in the room and uh, Jesus has just taken his position at, at your feet. Well, you'd look at him, wouldn't you? And he's not looking away from you, is he? His phone isn't buzzing. He's not distracted. He's not looking at Insta to see how many likes he's got. He's not doing anything like that. He's so fully present with you in the moment, isn't he? So fully present. And uh, don't you feel like you're the only person in the room? with Jesus at your feet. And as you look at him, you can see him looking at you with just great love and affection. His eyes are fixed on you. And uh, you just know his gaze goes right down into your soul. And in that moment, you just know, I am fully known and I'm deeply loved. Does that sound a bit fanciful? I don't think it is because Jesus speaking to us as the beloved 
in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 14, he says this. He says, show me your face. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet. Yeah, even Pastor Luke's raspy old voice today. Tired, jet lagged, tired old voice. Jesus is going, oh, that's Luke. I love his voice. It's sweet to me. And uh, your face is lovely. You know, God's always desired that he, has always revealed that he desires face to face with us. That he doesn't want less than face to face. He doesn't want groveling in the dirt. He, he's good with humility. <laughs> he's good with lowliness. But he loves to gaze upon us. He loves for us to learn how to gaze upon him. Paul wrote in Second Corinthians, that's how we get transformed. By gazing upon him. Face to face. To face. God spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his, with his friend. And then just a little bit longer in the conversation here, Jesus is going to call, say to his disciples, you are my friends. He's inviting face to face. David heard the invitation from the Lord to seek his face. Psalm 27 verse 8 says this, When you said, seek my face, notice who issued the invitation. David didn't come up with this idea. God revealed the longing of his heart. David, would you seek my face? That's what I want you to seek. I, I want face to face with you, David. I, I, I want friendship with you. I want you to know how much you're loved. I want you to know how welcome you are in my presence. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. The freedom that David had to pursue intimacy with God. And that's what Jesus offers us. He, he offers intimacy. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, Psalm 105, verse 4. And 2 Chronicles 7, 14 that, that really, you know, if my people, it, just read it carefully, it says, if they will seek my face. If they will seek my face. Um, they all encourage us to seek God's face. Psalm 24, verse 6, it tells, it speaks of a generation who seeks God's face. We read, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. I'm amazed at where the name Jacob comes up in Scripture over and over again. The God of Jacob. I think, Jacob, that usurper. Except it was Jacob that had an open heaven. And we're encouraged to seek his face with a reference point. That maybe heaven can open. Heaven can open. Heaven can open. Heaven can open. Because we're, we're people who are prepared to seek his face. And this, this generation in Psalm 24 verse 6, it's not a demographic generation. It, you know, we, we're so into demographics when it comes to generations. And, and I get that. But this generation has got nothing to do with demographic, demographics. It's not the silent generation that's been referred to. It's not the baby boomers. It's not Gen X or Gen Z. It's not Generation Alpha that's been uh, referred to in this passage of Scripture. The year of our birth doesn't determine this generation. What determines this generation is they've learnt things that God likes. Read the psalm carefully. 
The king of glory is going to come in at the end of the psalm. There's a generation who seek his face, and all that generation is, is they've learnt to know what the Father likes. They've learnt to know what he likes. And, and it's people with clean hands and pure hearts who put their trust wholly in God. Wholly in God. Not, not, not half in what's happening in the business world and half of what's happening in the kingdom. They've put their trust wholly in God. They're functioning out of the kingdom into the business world, not the other way around. They're a generation fully devoted to Jesus who have determined to live from the intimacy of his presence. There's something about that generation, and my question is, can we be that people? Can we be that generation, the generation who seek his face? Yes, let's come to the upper room to have our prayers answered. That's important. But let's come just to be with him, to be known by him, uh, to allow his great love and affection to do a deep transformational work in our soul. A second uh, upper room moment is, is to experience freedom from fear. Um, John, John 20 19 to 20. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The disciples were, were hiding away behind locked doors in fear of the Jewish leaders. And I think one of the biggest hindrances to living given away to kingdom purposes is fear. The fear of man and the fear of lack. Because you've got to get out of the boat and walk on water so many times to fulfill kingdom purpose, to fulfill destiny. It doesn't always come with, with greater security than this. I am with you. I am with you. And, uh, and God, is, God is always so faithful. But I think it's fear. And we won't be able to fulfill who God has formed us to be in this moment of history if we find ourselves living our lives for Jesus behind locked doors because we're afraid of what other people think of us. We won't be able to fulfill the purposes of God for our life now, for the reason we've come to the kingdom now, if we're just keeping our faith silent. Jesus never told us to keep our faith silent, never once. We aren't meant to be living in hiding. We aren't meant to, to live in fear of. The world will not be reached if we are afraid. God doesn't have plan B. He sent his son, now he sends us. If we're afraid to shine, afraid to profess our faith, afraid to be different, the world can't be reached. The world won't be reached if we're afraid to go. 
Oh, I've had the call of God on my life for years to go. Why haven't you gone? Why haven't you gone? What are you still doing here? Well, I get the, the fear. The world won't be reached if we're afraid to go, if we choose to live bunkered down and choose self-preservation and choose security and comfort over mission, the world will not be reached. I think I'm preaching okay. I think you're quiet, but I, I think I'm, I just think that the time we're in requires us to live free from the fear of man and free from the fear of whatever and free from the fear of what if. Well, just get out there and discover how faithful God is. Just, let's not just sing Jehovah Jireh. Let's live it. Let's live it. He is Jehovah Jireh. Where did that come from? When Abraham was on the mountain going, don't do it. it was all, he was already given away. He didn't discover Jehovah Jireh in the comfort of his tent, counting up his how much oil he had. He discovered Jehovah Jireh when he was sacrificing, when he was giving his very best. Oh, I'm preaching good, I'm telling you. That's because I haven't been here for a while. So you bring out the best. You know, we just owe it to our neighbours. We, we owe it to our colleagues. We owe it to our community. We, we, we owe it to our family. We owe it to our friends to be people who live with courageous love and boldness of heart. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. It hasn't come from God. It's not his design for our lives to just live behind a wall of timidity so we can never be who he's made us to be. He has given us a spirit of power and love so we can release what he's formed within us. Yes. I like that. <laughs> we just owe it to others to live with the, the boldness of conviction that Jesus is alive and you know, I just think we need Jesus to step into the room of our fearful hearts again and, and begin to breathe peace into our souls and release his spirit over our lives again and again and again. He was so kind with his disciples. He just turned up and said, let me dissipate your fears. Let me breathe on you. That's why we need the upper room. Let him just breathe on us. And then he says, now you're feeling good? Go, go, go. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Just go. We got rid of your fear for a minute? Go. If you get afraid, come back here. I'll meet you again and we'll go out again. Here I am, Lord, send me. I want to live given away. You know, a third upper room moment is... um, Third upper room, when you, when you see a preacher look up, they're looking at the clock, how much time they got left. So, it's the only place we have one, I think. Anyway, not used to it. Where was I? Third upper room moment is we learn to, to, to wait. The disciples waited 10 days in prayer for an outpouring of, of God's spirit upon their lives. Only they didn't know it would be for 10 days. 
They just had to keep showing up. Jesus never told them. It will be 10 days, and in 10 days' time, well, if you're anything like me, I'm going to turn up on day 10. Forget the other days. Why do I need to be there? It's going to happen on day 10. As long as I'm in the room on day 10, that's all that matters. They had to be there every day. Because they didn't know when it was going to happen. They just lived obediently. Jesus said, don't leave. Go in the upper room. Wait. Ten days later, we're still waiting. They waited in prayer. You know, very few of us enjoy waiting. I I hate going to the doctors, don't you? Love doctors? No problem. Love doctors. Really love doctors. Just hate waiting in their reception rooms. They're never on time. I have the best doctor. I've had him for like 20 odd years. He's such a good man, beautiful Christian man. I book sometimes his first appointment in the day and he's still 20 minutes late. (laughs) I don't get that. I don't get that. That's nothing I wouldn't say to him. We're really good friends. I buy him books and help him, you know. He listens to the podcast, so maybe he's listening. Hey, Denton, good to hear. Good to see you. Um, But very few of us enjoy waiting, but waiting on the Lord is a spiritual activity. Isaiah 64 verse 4 says this, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So God has us in a waiting room for a reason. He's not running late. He has us in a waiting room for a reason. He is at work in our waiting. There is no God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So what might he be doing? The musicians can come and join me if they like. That's a good question. And I don't know the full answer to it. But I think that one part of an answer to it, especially in this season, is that He's measuring our lives. God, God measures. He measures to build. If, if, you, if you order a new kitchen for your house, you do not want the cabinet maker to turn up with the completed product. You want him to come into your kitchen and measure it up, don't you? And then he can build according to what the measurements are. He could turn up with a kitchen far too small for your place if he just thought, oh, yeah, I know where they live. Just build a kitchen. Or he could turn up with a kitchen too big for your place. He has to come and, and measure it. And, and God measures us. He measures us. In, in Ezekiel chapter 40 through to 42, in fact, it goes a long, quite, quite a long time, this, this vision that he has it. It it takes up a lot of chapters. It's still there in chapter 47. But at the beginning there in Ezekiel 40 through 42, Ezekiel is given a vision of a man who is measuring the temple. But the temple didn't exist. It was a temple that God was intending to build. And, and, And he was going everywhere with this measuring rod. 
measuring, measuring the temple. And then when you get to Ezekiel 43, the glory of the Lord filled that temple. There's a measuring taking place in our lives. There's a measuring of hope center. There's a measuring, I think, across the body of Christ, across the face of the earth. Because God's wanting to fill His living temple with His glory. He has to, he has to measure our, our lives. Ezekiel 43, the glory of the Lord overwhelmingly, and He uses the word radiant. The glory of the Lord was radiant. Don't you long for the days when there's just the radiancy of the glory of God's presence just resting upon us because, hey, guess what? This isn't the church. You and me, we're the church. We're the ones that God is using in the world. We are are ministers of a new covenant, the glory of God. We have this, this unsurpassing glory in earthen vessels. God is measuring our, our, our lives. We're destined for a greater fullness of glory. Then in Ezekiel 47, it's still the same vision. The man is still with him. Like these, these six chapters of this man being with Ezekiel and he's measuring stuff and, and, and there's a temple that he can see and there's, and there's glory in there and, and it's just remarkable. And then in Ezekiel 47, the, the, uh, uh, Ezekiel, uh, the prophet, sees water begin to trickle from that temple where, where there's been a measuring and a building and an and a, and a infilling of glory and then there's, then there's a river that begins to flow and it's just a trickle. But again, the man measures. He measures off a thousand cubits and Ezekiel is ankle deep in the river. He measures off another thousand cubits and then Ezekiel is knee deep in the river. The man measures again. He measures another thousand cubits and, and Ezekiel is waist deep in that river of life that's flowing and the Bible tells us it's flowing out towards the world. And there's trees on either side of this river that, that bear fruit for the healing of the nations. And God always speaks about us as trees. But He has to measure our lives to be able to build to bring us into what he wants to. And then, and then Ezekiel, the man measures another thousand cubits and, and Ezekiel is, is in a river that can only be swam in. And God measures us in accordance with the dream and kingdom purpose he has for our lives. And destiny is unfolding, isn't it? God's heart is the heart of eternity. He doesn't give us the whole picture. When, when people planted the seed in the ground that had some funny name, some tabernacle name, almost a hundred years ago, they didn't envisage what, what is now. But God always did. And He's got something further yet. We can't see it, but He can. But He'll measure us to build us. And He'll measure us to bring us deeper and deeper into the life of His Spirit. And I, I believe in the present waiting, in the, in the upper room of prayer and encounter, God is lovingly measuring our lives. He's measuring our abandonment to Him.
He's measuring our love. Everything that Jesus built on the, in the disciples through the book of Acts was built on one command. This is my command. Love one another. He built it on that. He's measuring our love. Love requires us to live given away. Given away to each other. Given away to the world. He's measuring our love. He's measuring our detachment from the spirit of the world. We're in it, but not of it. Sometimes our lives just look the same. I don't think we intend them to do. We've just got caught up with the noise. We've got caught up with the fear. We've got caught up with the anxiety. We think that everything's got, it's all going to happen. There's a kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't need the security you think you need. You don't need the possessions you think you need. I'm not anti-security. I'm not anti-possessions. I'm just saying don't have the roots of your life in the fear of those things. That's what I'm saying. He's measuring our detachment from the spirit of the world. He's measuring our willingness to seek first the kingdom of God. He's measuring the depth of our surrender to Him. If you've been in the upper room lately in your own life, you'll know that what I'm saying is true. Because He's doing these things. You'll have found yourself in, in in those moments just saying, Lord, I surrender. Have you found yourself doing that? He's measuring our surrender to Him. He's pulling something out of us. He's measuring our yes. He's measuring our yes to Him. Well, what are you asking of me? doesn't matter. I've just said yes. Well, what are you going to require? It doesn't matter. Just say yes. Just say yes. Follow me. When Jesus said that to Peter at the end of his life, He didn't show him anything about his life except how he would die. John 21, where where Jesus restores and reconciles Peter to himself and to his calling, you know, on on the lake around a beautiful fire and breakfast with fish and and bread. And then then Jesus, he restores him. You know the story, you know, that Jesus went through. And at the end of it, he he says, follow me. And, 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 Peter goes, what about him? Pointing to John. And Jesus says, that's none of your business. Follow me. And then he told him something prophetically about his life following him. Didn't tell him anything about what his life would be like. He told him how he would die. He said, that when you get old, people are going to lead you the way you don't want to go. They're going to dress you in what you don't want to wear. And John, perceptive John, writes... Jesus told him this to signify what kind of death Peter would die. So, (laughs) it's serious, isn't it? Here's the invitation of Jesus to me. 
Graham, come follow me. Oh, I'd love to, Lord. What, what are we going to do? Uh, I'll tell you how you're going to die. You're going to be crucified on the cross just like I was. Well, if that doesn't happen literally, it happens anyway. Because the invitation is to pick up our cross and die. When, when Peter said yes, he's saying yes to that. But you know, like this is the goodness of God. Peter stepped in to the best days of his life. You read about them in the book of Acts. Just that Peter didn't know. He just had to follow. I wonder if you could stand. Stand with me. He's measuring us for a fresh outpouring of his spirit. He's measuring us for new assignments. He's measuring us for more. There's more in your book to be written. Maybe you haven't started the book of Acts yet. I really believe the Lord wants to write a book of Acts through your life. Maybe you thought, oh, Graham, why do you have to talk about not retiring? I'm so close to retiring. That's all right. Do what you need to do. Life can look different, but don't give up on following Jesus. Don't give up on following Jesus. Don't work anymore if you don't have to. But I'm not saying anything about that. I'm, my revelation to me, and it's because I was heading for the beach. I wasn't heading to my death. I was heading to fishing. And I wasn't fishing for men. Because I love beach fishing. I was heading to the beach to fish. I wasn't heading out into mission. I can't shake it because he's calling us he's calling the 75 year olds he's calling the 80 year olds he's calling the 85 year olds he's calling the 14 year olds he's calling the 30 year olds he's calling the 40 year olds he's he's calling you whether you've been in the kingdom for one day or 55 years he's calling he's calling us he's calling us come follow me I had a moment in in my upper room Recently, I've gone through a tough, tough season of late, and uh, as we do, and uh, I was, I was, uh, I was actually getting professional supervision just to try and help me. Just wanted to talk things out to someone in Perth. Actually, I'd have a Zoom call from a completely different um, faith basis, but a believer, beautiful believer. A, a beautiful woman in her 70s actually qualified and she, she was really really good and we had three or four sessions and and the last session I had with her we're in it about 15 minutes and the spirit of the Lord just came upon me and it was quite overwhelming for me and she could tell she said oh there's a real stillness that's resting on you now isn't there I said yeah she said, I think you need to, I think we need to end this call. Still charge me for the full hour, mind you. I didn't mind. And she was expensive. True story. And she said, I think you just need to go and sit. Just sit before the Lord. I said, Yeah, I think you're right. And I did. And I sat there before the Lord and 
His presence got more and more intense. A sense of His love filling my heart got more and more intense. I've been, you know, struggling my way forward for a few months, and I'm thinking in my heart, this is it. This is where the download's going to come. I'm going to have to write screeds of revelation right here, right here, right here. And then I heard the Lord speak in the way that it's just sometimes, not an audible voice, but you know, sometimes it's just that reverberation in your spirit. There's such clarity. And Jesus said, my sheep know me. They listen to my voice. And you are listening to what he said. And this is all he said. Not all. It's everything. Two words. Follow me. Follow me. He is still alive. He is still calling people to follow me. He doesn't have to give us the plan. We just have to follow him. He's a good leader. He's a good leader. He's good at directing our path. Even He's a great communicator, even when we think he's not speaking to us. It, have you noticed that? You think, God, would you speak to me? God, would you speak to me? God, would you speak to me? You're hearing nothing for weeks. And all of a sudden, you just have a moment of clarity and you think, wow, you've said so much. <laughs> Listen, I hope you hear my heart. I hope you hear God's heart. So I'm going to invite us to do. I'm just going to invite us to posture ourselves standing before the Lord and can you respond in your own heart can you identify for a moment maybe where God is lovingly measuring your own life are you aware of him calling you into a a deeper place of surrender and you think Lord what 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 No, just surrender. Just offer him surrender. Maybe you're aware that God is asking for a greater yes. Maybe you're aware he's just calling you to the upper room again in a different way.